0: Stetson, having just a few words with Coach Dykes. You took a moment as this game is winding down to look up and soak in this moment. What is washing over you right now, Stetson?
1: I don't know. I am try- I don't know, man. Uh, last one, last I don't know, man. champion, so the whole damn world, man. I don't know. Just trying to see everybody for the last time, you know, hug everybody, try not to cry, you know. I, I don't know.
0: You ran it in, you used your legs twice. How did you set the tone for your team in this moment? We just we
1: knew with their defense that that my legs were gonna be a part of it. Uh Monk made, you know, two great calls and I just trusted it, went out there and they made blocks and I mean I didn't get touched on both ones, so you know, I don't know.
0: Just talked to you when you walked off the field. There was a moment that the entire crowd is on their feet cheering for you, giving you a curtain call in a national championship game. That doesn't happen often. What did you think when that happened?
1: I yeah, it does not happen. It does not happen with Coach Smart, I can tell you that. I mean, that was special. That was I'll remember that for the rest of my life.
0: He pulled you in and whispered something in your ear. What did he tell you? He just told me he loved me.
1: And uh just the journey that we've been through together, um, you know, and that dude right there, Rich, nah, I, I mean, just seeing everybody who was here from when I got here, and they're still here, and we're back to back, I don't know, just, yeah.
0: For a kid from Blackshear, Georgia, what do you say to your hometown, all the people there, who have believed in you from the very beginning. Well, it's God's
1: country. It's the greatest place on earth, and it made it, it made me who I was today. That Black Shearer, Nahana, I give Nahana a shout-out, too. I love those people, the Herons and the Bears, baby. They made me who I was, and I can't wait to get back there.
0: Thank you so much, and congratulations. You're back-to-back, yeah, champ. Back you back
2: Welcome to the Chatting Yardage Podcast, presented by Sports Strength. Now, here's your host, Cam Matthews.
3: Welcome to your friendly neighborhood college football podcast. Welcome to Chatting Yardage, part of the Chatting Average family and brought to you by our friends at Sports Drink. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the show. I'm your host, Mr. Cam Matthews. You can find me on Twitter at HeyCam93. You can also follow the show, be part of the conversation at Chatting Yardage. Episode 20, the season finale. We have played the official last game of the 2022 season. And what an absolute year it was, uh, you know, had many ups and downs for various fan bases, a few surprises here and there, uh, and, you know, plenty of accolades to to talk about and discuss and give out as well, which we're going to do toward the end of the show as voted on by you, the fans, but it's an absolutely amazing season that, you know, from the start just felt like it had so much great potential to be an an incredible year for college football and as always it lived up to the hype. You know, I don't think I don't really think you can come away from a season as a whole as a college football fan and say, ah, eh, that wasn't really a great year. I mean, sure it might not have been a great year for your team specifically, but all in all, you know, I don't think you could come away from 13 weeks of a regular season plus conference championships plus bowl season plus national championships stepping away going eh that was not a great year because this was a great year this was a fun year this was a year that we saw lots of new names step up this was a year that you know legacies were pretty much cemented this was a year that raises more questions for next season and is going to be fun to follow along in the coming months as we head into the offseason into another transport transfer transfer portal session easy for me to say uh, as we talk more about recruiting as we talk about hirings and firings and keep an eye on that you know before we head into spring scrimmages and summer workouts you know it's a it's an ever-evolving uh you know timeline and ever-evolving world that is college football it never actually stops uh even though the action has concluded so we have one game to talk about, and it's the game that, you know, seemingly everybody had their eyes on at least for maybe the first quarter, and that was a national championship game, the 2022 national championship game between your Georgia Bulldogs and the TCU Horn Frogs, and folks, I don't think there's a whole lot that I can say about it that has not already been said to great detail. Uh, final score, 65-7, to Georgia finishes their season Fifteen and 0. TCU finishes at thirteen and two. Uh, clock unfortunately strikes midnight for the Cinderella story that was the TCU Horn Frogs led by Sonny Dykes. But what a, what an incredible season! You know, let, let's start talking first about about Georgia. What an absolutely incredible year uh, for the Bulldogs! I believe they started out the season uh, number two or number three, I believe, and then within within uh, three or four weeks, finally took over the number one spot and pretty much ran it from there the rest of the season. And despite what they may try to tell you, I don't think there was a whole lot of doubt that this team was talented enough to pull off what they did. I think it was a question as to whether they would be as talented as last year's team and boy howdy i think they rose to the challenge of course uh, in absolute dominating fashion had a couple of scares here and there of course you know you think about the missouri game which you know appears to be an outlier at this point uh but you know talk about a team that just defied all "Quote unquote doubts," which feels hilarious to say because this is still a tremendous team coming into the season, uh, but seemingly defied all doubts to get to where they were and become, you know, back-to-back national champions. Uh, over to TCU, uh, you know, there there is the conversation and there is the argument coming out of this game that. TCU didn't belong. Uh, well, the the committee failed the national audience for giving them a game such as this, and I, I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna argue against that because at the end of the day, you have set up the precedent for what qualifies a team to make the playoff, right? Okay, TCU met those qualifications. At the end of the day, you have a playoff that if you win against your playoff opponent, you go to the national championship. TCU did that. You know, at, at, when it's all said and done, Georgia obviously was the much more talented team. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people saying that, oh, Georgia and Ohio State was the, was the national championship game. And, you know, however you want to view that, sure. But I don't think you can argue that, A, Georgia was the best team in the country this season what feels by like a long shot. And you can't argue, in my opinion, B that based on the system that we have now, it was the right decision for TCU to be there. And I and I will continue to argue that and oh, I've seen the argument about, well, when they expand the playoff, it's just gonna be more of the same. We're gonna get this you know, we're we're gonna get the same teams in the end, blah, 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 blah. Maybe. Maybe. But it still doesn't denounce the fact that there isn't, you know, very much parity in the current playoff system at all. And, again, I've made the point, and I'm going to make it again, how can you argue about having more high-stakes football at the end of the year? Despite how great of a bowl season this year was, you you still have the argument to be made that a lot of those games are, you know, theoretically, exhibition games at the end of the day. But if you can make these games mean just a little bit more, what does that mean in terms of opt-outs? What does that mean in terms of players staying with a team? You know, that that sort of idea. Uh, so, you know, I, TCU, I think just the, the magic kind of ran out against the best team in the country. And arguably the best team in the country since week one uh, against Oregon. And you know, I think that's just a way to look at it. Uh, looking at uh, looking at some of the stats uh, here in this game, uh, Georgia finishes with 254 yards on the ground compared to TCU's 36. Absolutely, just dominating the line of scrimmage. In receiving, Georgia was running all over the field, throwing the ball deep. Uh, 335 uh, passing or receiving yards on this night. Uh, three hundred and four of those coming from Stetson Bennett. TCU only one hundred and fifty-two yards receiving. Just uh, you're, you're talking about a game that was absolutely dominated by Georgia, and only you know consider the fact that the closest this game ever was was ten to seven in in the first quarter. And when TCU scores that opening or scores that touchdown you know, it makes you kind of think, okay, uh, maybe they'll get something going here, and that's all they really got going. It was all Georgia from there. Georgia's defense comes away with five sacks, including nine tackles for loss, Uh, and, and just an absolutely dominating game, and I don't know if you can really go much more beyond that. Georgia was, is, and was the best team in the country. For the majority of the season if not all season and they certainly showed it uh this past monday night so congratulations to the bulldogs on being your national champions for this season back-to-back years and. You know, it certainly doesn't feel like they're they are uh, going to diminish at all over the offseason. We'll take a quick look at your final college football rankings in the AP Top 25. Uh, we'll just take a look at the Top 10. Uh, number 10, Utah. Number 9, Tulane. How about that? And finishing out the season at number 9 with a 12-2 record. Washington finishes 11-2 at number 8. Penn State at number seven, Tennessee six, Alabama five, Ohio State four, Michigan three, TCU two, and Georgia number one. Of course, some of your highest risers uh, in the final edition of the top twenty-five, of course, include Tulane jumping up five spots from fourteen to nine. Troy jumps up four spots from fifth or from twenty-three to nineteen. Mississippi State jumps up from twenty-four. To twenty, And then some of your largest drops, uh, USC drops four spots to number 12, and Texas drops four spots to number 25. Well, that's enough of me rambling to start out the show. We're going to jump into, for the final time this season, our first segment of the program. As always, this is Four Down Territory. First down. Some of the best stories in college football history include walk-on players blossoming into stars. Just ask Stetson Bennett. The Georgia Bulldogs quarterback started his career as a walk-on for the team in 2017, but ended it as a Georgia football legend. Bennett helped his Bulldogs defeat number 3 TCU Horned Frogs 65-7 in the 2023 College Football Playoff National Championship game, becoming the first team since the Alabama Crimson Tide in 11-12 to win consecutive national titles. Bennett finished Monday's game with 304 passing yards and six total touchdowns, four passing, two on the ground. The Bulldogs' signal signal caller also led Georgia to a 2022 title with a win over Alabama last season, which ended a 40-season title drought for the school. Given his resume, Bennett could arguably go down as one of the most successful players in the school's history. Bennett's memorable memorable career with Georgia calls for a look at his beginnings with the Bulldogs and a stroll down memory lane to think back on former walk-ons who made a name for themselves on the college gridiron. First one we'll look at is Hunter Renfro, a wide receiver for the Clemson Tigers from 2014 to 2018. Renfro, who was a longtime Tigers fan, walked on at Clemson in 2014 and redshirted his freshman year. He then earned a scholarship the following year in 2015. The legend of Renfro grew because of his performance in the 2017 college football playoff title game. He caught 10 passes for 92 yards and two touchdowns. One of his scores was the game winner that gave Clemson its first national championship since 1981. Renfro became a reliable option for quarterbacks Sean Watson and Trevor Lawrence during his four-year tenure with the Tigers. According to Clemson's football website, Renfro finished his career 5th in receptions, 186, and 11th in receiving yards, just over 2,100 in school history. In 2018, he earned the Bullsworth Trophy, awarded to the best college football player who started as a walk-on. It's hard to believe to remember that Baker Mayfield was once a walk-on. He was the quarterback for the Texas Tech Red Raiders in 2013 and the quarterback then for Oklahoma from 2015 to 2017. Mayfield joined the Red Raiders as a freshman walk-on in 2013 and was named the starting quarterback after first-string signal caller Michael Brewer suffered a back injury. He finished his freshman year at Texas Tech with 2,315 yards passing, 12 touchdowns, and 9 interceptions. Mayfield then transferred to Oklahoma after just one year at Texas Tech. He sat out the 2014 season because of then-NCAA's transfer rules, making his debut in 2015. Over three seasons with the Sooners, Mayfield threw for 12,292 yards, 119 touchdowns, and just 21 interceptions. He finished with a 33-6 record as a starter at Oklahoma, earned the Bullsworth Trophy twice in 15-16, and 16, and received the Heisman Trophy in 2017. Now, over to the defensive side of the ball, at least partially, J.J. Watt, who played as tight end for the Central Michigan Chippewas in 2007 and then defensive end for Wisconsin Badgers from 2008 to 2010. Before J.J. Watt chased quarterbacks for a living, he actually caught passes for them. He played tight end for Central Michigan during his freshman year and then transferred to Wisconsin as a walk on defensive end. After redshirting in 2008, he became a force off the edge. Watt started all 13 games in 2009 and finished in the top three in tackles for loss, pass breakups, sacks, and fumble recoveries on the team. In 2010, Watt won the Ronnie Lott Trophy, awarded to a defensive player who excelled on the field and showed exceptional character off of it. Watt also earned a first-team All-Big Ten nod and a second-team AP All-American selection that season. Watt finished his Badgers career with 106 total tackles, 36.5 tackles for loss, and 11.5 sacks. Staying on the defensive side of things, we'll take a look at Clay Matthews, linebacker for the USC Trojans from 2004 to 2008. Clay Matthews arrived at USC in 2004 as a walk-on, but didn't get on the field until 2005. As a redshirt freshman, he appeared in 12 games. And then in 2006, Matthews earned a scholarship from the Trojans and won the team's Special Teams Player of the Year Award. In 2007, Matthews received more playing time and continued to excel on special teams. He started at linebacker as a senior and accumulated 57 total tackles and four and a half sacks. Matthews finished his USC career with 97 total tackles, 13 and a half tackles for loss, and five and a half sacks. And our final walk-on we're going to talk about today, a little bit of a throwback. Wide receiver Santana Moss, who played for the Miami Hurricanes from 1997 to 2000. Moss joined the Hurricanes football team as a walk-on in 97. He earned a scholarship during his freshman season and eventually became an all-purpose playmaker. Moss starred as a receiver and returner for Miami during his four-year career. In 1999, he scored six touchdowns and led the team with 54 receptions and 899 receiving yards. In 2000, Moss set the single-season NCAA record for punt returns for touchdowns with four. He also racked up 45 receptions and 748 yards receiving and five touchdowns that year. Moss received one second-team All-Big East designation in 1998, two first-team All-Big East nods in 99 and 2000, and one Big East Offensive Player of the Year and Special Teams Player of the Year honors in 2000 at Miami. Moss is still the school's leader in all-purpose yards with 4,394, career receiving yards at 2,546, punt return yards 1,196, and punt return touchdowns with six. Second down. Northwestern has initiated an investigation into an allegation of hazing within its football program, the school said in a statement to ESPN on Wednesday. The school was made aware of the allegation after the 2022 season, according to the statement. The university has hired an independent attorney, Maggie Hickey, of the law firm Errant Fox Schiff to lead the inquiry. Northwestern said Hickey's investigation will likely include interviews with players, coaches, and staff members. Northwestern's statement read, While we do not know whether the allegations are true, hazing is prohibited by university policy and we take these claims seriously. The health, safety, and well-being of our students is the first priority. The inquiry is in its very early stages and will be rigorously fair to everyone in the process. It will focus on gathering facts and will not jump to conclusions. Northwestern strongly supports members of our community who come forward with concerns and encourages anyone to report those concerns to the university. Athletic Director Derek Gregg informed players and coaches of the inquiry on Wednesday, according to a source. Northwestern did not specify if the allegation came from a player or involved players, coaches, or staff. The school said its athletic department will fully cooperate with Hickey during the investigation. The statement continued, the purpose of Miss Hickey's investigation is to find the underlying truth of the allegations, including the scope of any potential hazing activity or harmful culture. Northwestern's season, of course, ended in late November with a 1-11 record, the team's worst since it went winless in 1989. Coach Pat Fitzgerald, a former National Defensive Player of the Year at the school, has led the program since 2006. Third down. A strong consensus of FBS coaches signaled support for several key rules changes in college football as the 2023 American Football Coaches Association Conference wrapped this past Tuesday, with the potential for an earlier signing day, extended bowl eligibility, and a reevaluation of limits on on field coaches. AFC Executive Director Todd Berry said Tuesday's meetings, which included about 40 FBS head coaches, largely centered on frustrations that schools playing by the rules on issues including tampering, sideline headset use, and on-field contact for support staff were being hamstrung, while those who flouted the guidelines endured no serious repercussions. If we can't enforce something or we don't enforce something, then we probably don't even need to have a discussion about the rules. For a long time, our coaches have been frustrated that we put in rules constantly and what ends up happening is the only ones who end up getting penalized Are the ones doing the right thing? A lot of things we look at right now as coaches, whether it be the transfer portal, NIL, who's governing this thing right now is in question, and who's going to enforce what's out there? We all see and hear these things, that a lot of them are scary, and most of them are true, one coach said. Tampering remained arguably the biggest hot button issue for coaches, with Barry saying that FBS coaches are nearly unanimous in believing that there should be far more severe punishment for schools caught enticing athletes from other teams not yet in the transfer portal, including potential lifetime bans. The problem, however, is that proving tampering remains a nearly impossible task. With tampering, with analyst coaching, you can't enforce it, Wake Forest head coach David Claussen said, and if you can't enforce it, why have it? Barry also said there was energy behind adjusting the early signing period, possibly by as little as a week or two, but potentially eliminating the early signing period or moving it to the summer. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey noted his his concerns with the existing signing day structure earlier this week, lamenting that the December signing day overlapped with the transfer portal and bowl prep to create an unworkable logjam that impacted team seasons. Sankey has advocated returning to a single signing date in early February, which college football had for years before introducing the December date. Barry went on to say, It'd be nice if the signing date was earlier and the portal window was right after that, instead of the chaos of doing both of these things at the same time. It's so chaotic right now, where everyone's pulling their hair out, including the student-athletes. Barry suggested the Monday after Thanksgiving or the first Wednesday in December as potential options and noted noted that some coaches would like to move the signing day even earlier, possibly to the summer, but said that that could create an issue with players changing their minds after the season. NC State head coach Dave Dorn was among several coaches in favor of an open signing period, letting high school players sign at any time, so long as the school stayed under its cap of 85 scholarships. One thing a change to an earlier signing day likely wouldn't affect, Barry said, is the recent trend of head coaches being fired mid-season. Barry said the rush to make coaching changes isn't a result of placating high school recruiting classes, but rather the transfer portal. Barry said coaches are also in favor of a rule change that would allow players to participate in bowl games without impacting their ability to redshirt, even if they've already played in four games during the season. He said several teams were, quote, very close to canceling their bowl games this year because of roster depletion at certain positions because of opt-outs and the transfer portal. The larger issues of NIL and the portal remain points of contention, and Tuesday's meeting offered very little in the way of solutions. Those frustrations, Barry said, have largely been predictable, but the solutions remain difficult to find because of a strong disagreement about the vision for college-out athletes. Barry went on to say, There's no question that the NIL, the transfer portal, anybody who's surprised by this is being very naive, because conceptually, this was going to end up a pay-for-play. You've turned this into a professional model, and I'd still like to keep it an academic model. Maybe those worlds are going to collide. The moment all of this stuff happened, it was bound to collide. You just can't have both. And I'd like to protect the academic model. Fourth down when Dearness Collin was 9 years old, he inadvertently became a meme. As a young boy, he was holding a Popeyes drink cup looking suspiciously at the camera as the cameraman teased him about his resemblance to the viral star, Lil Terrio. The video took off, and Collin's likeness appeared in memes expressing uncertainty or awkwardness. At the time, he didn't like that he was gaining attention and he didn't fully understand why everyone suddenly knew who he was. It wasn't until recently that he came to appreciate the notoriety, and just days ago, Colin capitalized on his image. On Tuesday, SportsCenter posted a photo of Colin winning a state championship with his East Orange High School football team next to the original meme image. Colin, now a redshirt freshman center at Lake Erie College in Ohio, thought he would take a chance and used a moment to benefit himself. Because of new rules within the NCAA, Colin is allowed to profit off of his name, image, and likeness. He tagged Popeyes on social media and he caught their attention with how he once again went viral. Colin said, I thought this is probably the opportunity I can get with Popeyes to at least reach out. I went on Instagram and decided to post, asking everyone to repost and tag Popeyes, not knowing that I would actually get all the support that I got. People just started to join and on my post, and people st- just started to join. On my post and people that were on the Sports Center post, and I believe Monday afternoon was when Popeyes DM'd me and said, we actually want to work with you. Colin said that Popeyes offered him an NIL deal, but he has not yet signed the contract and couldn't exactly disclose the details just yet. He will help promote the restaurant chain. Because of news of his deal has also spread quickly across the internet, Colin is already starting to hear from other companies on potential contracts. He said, I had dude wipes. They talk to me and they're sending me some products. I have one company that I've been called with, called Locked In. It's an athletic brand from a football player that I used to play with in high school. Being from a small school such as Lake Erie, he is among the only football players there to have a name, image, and likeness deal, but that hasn't stopped his teammates from supporting his reclaimed fame. Colin said, My teammates were excited for me because they believed I should be doing what I'm doing with it. The fact that every teammate of mine said congratulations, asked if I was okay, and and that they're rooting for me to make this bigger than what it is now. Colin didn't feel comfortable with being a meme until he was in 7th grade, but once he did, he fully embraced it and took in the positive feedback he received. He never meant to seek attention from it, and as a young child, never thought he could make money off of what is a silly and fun video but he has been presented with an opportunity to partner with the famous brand and he owes it all to the power of social media and the internet. Colin said, I just want to thank everyone for going in the comments and tagging Popeyes. That actually led me to where I am now, so I'm grateful for that. Hey everybody,
2: this is Alex Butler here with this week's Mascot Minute, where we take a deep dive into some of your favorite collegiate mascots. This week, who better to feature than the newly crowned two-time reigning national champions, the University of Georgia Bulldogs? Nowadays, Harry Dog is the imposing costumed mascot who roams the sidelines of UGA sporting events. When he isn't hunting down litter bugs in stadium videos, but longtime fans fondly recall the days before Harry, back when a similarly named cartoon character dished out all sorts of good-humored game-day abuse to the mascots of Georgia's opponents. The dogs always have been big news in the classic city, but back when the old Athens Daily News was around, the local morning paper was especially enthusiastic about the University of Georgia even incorporating the school's famous arch into its masthead. And, on game days for more than 20 years from the mid-1960s through the early 1980s, The paper unleashed scores of kids on the area around Sanford Stadium, peddling copies of the Saturday edition, its front page emblazoned with the red and black adventures of Harry Dog, a cartoon Georgia Bulldog created by local ad man Don Smith. While Harry Dog was designed to be an intimidating but silent presence, his cartoon cousin Harry tended to pummel his victims with quips as well as whatever weapon his big paws were holding. He might be getting ready to greet a Gamecock with a frying pan, a bag of flour, and some shortening, or wearing the Florida Gator mascot pinned to his jersey asking, What'd you think? Do I look too preppy? Smith died in 2004, but his hairy dog lives on in the memories of UGA fans. Smith's son, Kirk, who continues running his dad's old ad agency in Athens, he's quite flattered that people still remember his father's work. Are there any mascots that you'd like us to feature on the show? Hit us up sometime in the next year at Chatting Yardage on Twitter to let us know. Once again, this has been Alex Butler with your mascot minute pick six.
3: all right we're gonna jump into the pick six awards of the year obviously we have no games to look forward to until uh, late august in 2023 but we're gonna take a look at, uh, at the awards that were selected by you, the fans. Now, how this work in case you were not involved in the process? After I announced the award categories on last week's episode, I took to Twitter and threw out a nomination thread for each of the awards and allowed you, the fans, to suggest uh, what we might uh, might consider awarding. And from that, I was able to take those nominations, put them in a poll for about 24 hours and let everyone take a vote on it. And that's how we ended up where we were. So again, these are voted on by you, the fans, because at the end of the day, I wouldn't be doing this show if you guys weren't listening. First award that we're going to hand out is the Coach of the Year Award. Now, the award nominees for this were a little bit widespread. And I had a You know, I had to do some evaluation on this, but your nominees were Sonny Dykes, head coach at TCU, Willie Fritz, the head coach of Tulane, Mike Elko, head coach at Duke, and the late Mike Leach, head coach from Mississippi State. So your 2022 chatting yardage coach of the year is none other than Mike Leach, winning by 42.9% of the vote. Uh, you know I, I have no problem with this at all because at the end of the day you know it was it was very very sad that we lost Mike Leach way too early uh, back in December but it was it was sobering and refreshing to see the entire college football world really the entire sports world world come together and recognize an individual who is just a a tremendous coach and so imperative to the modern game of college football uh so I'm more than happy to uh to announce Mike Leach as the Coach of the Year uh, here on the show. Our next award was the 2022 Inspiration of the Year Award. Uh, this was an award that, you know, as we discussed last year, was a player or individual that uh, that will served as an inspiration uh, to those around them, despite you know hardships or you know something they had to overcome. Your your nominees for this we only had three were Tyley Craft of UNC, uh, Tyley Craft of course, uh, taking on a battle with cancer uh, this season while still being involved in the football program. Uh, The Brisee family from Clemson, uh, who, of course, uh, lost their young daughter uh, and sister uh, earlier this year to brain cancer. And then, of course, our third nominee was Max Duggan at TCU, uh, a guy that was not the starting quarterback coming into this season, but somehow put himself into college football lore with the year that TCU had. And naturally, Max Duggan ends up being your winner uh, for biggest inspiration of the year, 46.4% of the vote on that poll and again it's kind of amazing to think about the fact that Max was not a planned starter for this year uh he you know he did not get his shot until I believe the either late in the first game or into the second game and from pretty much there uh put the team on his shoulders and was able to take them all the way to a national championship game now Max Duggan has announced that he will be going to the NFL draft uh later this spring and rightfully so so you know love to see just some you know some, some more good fortune continue to happen to him because for all accounts and purposes he seems to just be a tremendous kid uh, who has had uh, a quite the historic year uh, from not only a result standpoint but from a storytelling standpoint because you know at the end of the day between Max Duggan and Stetson Bennett both of their stories just feel like something out of a movie so congratulations Max Duggan your 2022 inspiration of the year now on to a fun one The 2022 Game of the Year as voted on by you, the uh, the chatting yard crew. Uh, our nominees were the Alabama-Tennessee game, Ohio State versus Georgia, TCU versus Baylor, and Alabama versus LSU. In quite dominating fashion, the winner of the Game of the Year poll goes to Ohio State and Georgia. This, of course, was the second semifinal game on New Year's night, a game that ended with Ohio State missing a, uh, a field goal that would have given them the win wide left uh, they win with 65.8% of the vote. A tremendous back-and-forth game, a game that I think surprised a lot of people. Uh, you know, given how Ohio State lost to Michigan uh, just a few weeks prior, I think a lot of uh, a lot of analysts expected Georgia to uh, to completely just roll over Ohio State. But at the end of the day, Ohio State's still a very talented team, and you had to wonder if they just had a little bit of that Buckeye luck coming into this one and I you know and I'm I'm not gonna equate their performance to just look you know it's a tremendously talented team but they were able to pull out some of their best performance and you could argue that they were the better team that night if not for a missed field goal but nonetheless Georgia comes away with the win and then goes on to win the national championship game so your 2022 game of the year Ohio State versus Georgia in the playoff. Uh, Award number four. This was a fun one. The biggest overachiever of the year. Your nominees, Tulane, TCU, Oregon State, and Troy. Tulane, of course, finishes the season in the top ten. This was the first time they had been ranked in a very long time. We talked about that earlier on in the year. They go on to beat uh, beat USC in the Cotton Bowl, a tremendous game. Oregon State, of course, uh, finishes the season ranked. They were not expected to do very well at all this year, but they had some key Pac-12 wins, including a win over their rival Oregon to finish out the regular season. And then Troy. Troy wins the Sun Belt Conference, uh, wins 12 games on the year, just a, a, an incredible year uh, for the Troy Trojans. But your winner, of course, is... Not a big surprise here is TCU with 69.1% nice of the vote on the poll. Biggest overachiever of the year. This was a team that was expected to finish 7th in the Big 12 Conference. This was a team that finished with a losing record last season and fired their head coach after the year. And somehow, first-year head coach Sonny Dykes takes them all the way to the national championship game. A tremendous year. Certainly what feels like an overachieving year, but... TCU now is at the forefront of Texas universities in terms of recruitment and spotlight. So the only question remains is will they be able uh, to keep that momentum going into next season? Now on the flip side of that, we'll take a look at the underachiever of the year. Your nominees for this one, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Oregon and Oklahoma, and by a landslide, Texas A&M wins this one, 73.9% of the vote. Uh, You know, consider the fact that Texas A&M was a team that entered the season, uh, I believe a top 10 team, if not a, I believe they were sixth is the highest that they ever reached, but ended up finishing the year with a losing record and missing out on a bowl game. So despite all the talk, despite all the NIL, despite all the recruiting classes that uh, Jimbo Fisher has been able to, to put together, Uh, in in the past couple of off-seasons, they still have not quite figured everything out. Now, of course, they are in the news now for, uh, for hiring... Bobby Petrino as the offensive coordinator uh, here in this offseason. So, uh, you know, offense was certainly a a big struggle uh, for the Aggies this year as Jimbo Fisher continued to have have the play-calling duties, but now he's going to hand over the reins to Bobby Petrino uh, in case you just thought that the dynamic at Texas A&M could not get any more strange. So with 73.9% of the vote, Texas A&M, your 2022 underachiever, of the year and now our final award of the year of course is the player of the year award uh you know a highly contested award here uh you know this poll was pretty close between a couple of individuals And not a lot of surprise in terms of the names that you're going to see on here. Uh, You have C.J. Stroud of Ohio State. You have Caleb Williams of USC. Of course, your Heisman winner for this season as well. You have Max Duggan of TCU. And then you have, who is your winner of this poll? Brock Bowers of Georgia. Now, Brock Bowers finished the year uh, with 940 all-purpose yards, seven touchdowns, averaging 15 yards uh, per touch just an absolutely dominating player, 6'4", 230 pounds, just a force to be reckoned with, and that was especially on display in the National Championship game, a tremendous season all around for Brock Bowers, and it's obviously apparent I have some Georgia fans uh, that listen to the show, of course, but, uh, you know, I can't make a big argument up against against Brock Bowers, who has received a couple of accolades already this offseason and uh, will probably continue to do so as his career at Georgia continues. Uh, so thank you to everyone uh, who took part in these polls, who took part in the nomination portion of, of the awards, uh, and really thank you to everybody who listened to this show this year. Uh, when, when I had the idea, as we were... About halfway through the chatting, chatting average season, you know the the show that Alex and I co-host together, uh, discussing Braves and baseball. It, you know the it, the idea came to me to you know kind of do a one man analyst type of college football show because I'm a huge college football fan and it, it has been an absolute pleasure bringing that to you this season. And, and again, I wouldn't be doing it if it weren't for you, the, the folks that continue to listen week in, week out, and interact with the show. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, but before we sign off for the year, we do have one more, uh, more segment that we concluded each and every single show with. This is... The Extra Points. From week one and their dismantling of then highly ranked Oregon, we knew that this year's Georgia team was special. How special? Well, despite losing 15 players to the draft last season, leaving questions on about both sides of the ball, the dogs repeat, becoming the first back-to-back national champion in a decade. And it doesn't appear that they're going anywhere. So playing us out for the end of the season is the Georgia Redcoat Marching Band with Glory, and hail to Georgia. Because if we're going to acknowledge anybody at the end of this season, it might as well be your national champion. Thank you for listening. I'm Cam Matthews.
2: This has been the Chatting Yardage podcast, brought to you by Sports Strength. Want to be part of the conversation? Follow the show on Twitter, at Chatting Yardage. We'll see you next week for another brand new episode.